Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are in for a treat. It's one of those films that once you, you immerse yourself in, I have to give a special recommendation to Johnny Greenwood and his score and, and the cinematography as well. The whole cast is fantastic. If you love Jane Campion and you commit yourself to it being a slow burn and you take it in, the reward you get out of it is justified. It just changes direction completely and it just catches everybody by surprise. When I walked out of the cinema, I was just like, holy crap. That just blew my mind completely. That's that's Jane Campion for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Flixbox Podcast. Today, we are joined by Kalechi. Hey, how's it going? Katie. Hello. And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the power of the dog. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Katie and Kalechi. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. My name is Kalechi and um, I'm a film critic and it's great to be here to talk about Power of the Dog. Hi, I'm Katie Smith-Wong. Uh, I'm a London-based film critic as well and I write for a number of sites as well as the reviews editor for Flick Feast. Kalechi, where do you where can we read your words? So I write for several different outlets. So one is my own personal blog, which is Confessions from a Geek Mind. And I also write for Film Stories, Jump Cut mm. Online, Vulture Hound, Film Hounds Magazine, and Set the Tape. Tell us about Confessions of a Geek Mind. Um, that blog started back in 2013. I was encouraged by a friend of mine to start writing about films because they said that I was very knowledgeable and I was just like ah who's gonna read who's gonna read my, my my thoughts and so forth and one day you know had had the flu and and through that I just said mm, you know what I'm bored I'm sick maybe I should start a blog and since 2013 it's just carried on and lo and behold people have been reading it and I found some really amazing substance out of it, which is, you know, it's always great when you hear positive feedback. And that's just opened the doors to different, you know, outlets and opportunities to the point where I am today. So it's it's a journey and it's a very, and I'm very appreciative about how that journey started. So start a blog, kids. That's what, it's, that's what you need to do. <laughs> I started a blog like 2008, um, wasn't kept up that much, but it's still like really informative to what I do now and making websites and, and doing digital marketing and stuff like that. And, and hey, this podcast and stuff, because it was about film and TV and all that kind of stuff. So if you've got any outlet creative, creatively, 
try starting a blog. Katie, do you have a blog? I do actually. That's how I <laughs> that's how I started uh, film writing as well. Um, I was in I was nearing thirty. I wasn't sure what to do. I was in a job that I wasn't I didn't find fulfilling. So I was in between jobs and. I started writing about films because, you know, I tried, tried, had something to pass the time and it just started to develop into something I was becoming a lot more serious and passionate about. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it led me to network with uh, different sites, not only in the UK, but overseas as well. And that made me, taught me a lot more about writing, film writing as well. And then it also introduced me to other journalists and other sites to the point where I am now. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not only the reviews editor for Flick Feast, but I written for film stories like Lecce and Bodzilla, Movie Marker, New Scientist magazine. As New well. Scientist? Yeah, <laughs> New Scientist. Uh, they, they they have a culture section and do um, film reviews. So I've reviewed a number of documentaries for them. Nice. And as well as a number of podcasts, which includes the Empire podcast. Yeah, well, I heard you on the on the most recent episode as this is recorded. So, and that's where I first heard your name. I thought, oh, she sounds interesting. Katie Smith Wong. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, welcome, guys. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the power of the dog. Katie, this was your choice. Yes, yes, it was. First of all, why? And then uh, tell us what it's about. And when I when we get to the, what it's about, we've got one minute or less, and I'll bring up the I'll bring up the countdown timer to to go through your synopsis. Okay, uh, well, first, I brought this up because it, I first watched it at uh, London Film Festival earlier this year, and it was just it was one of the standout films of the selection, in my opinion. Um, the film is based on the go. film. It's, the film is based on the eponymous novel by Tom Savage and is directed by Palm Door winner James Campion. Stars a ensemble cast with. Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, and Cody Smith McPhee. And it's based about um, two rancher brothers in Montana, Phil and George Burbank. Um, Phil is quite a volatile character and he is a bit domineering. So when George falls in love and marries Rose, who is played by Kirsten Dunst, and she moves into their home, he's very antagonistic towards her to the point where there's just an unfathomable tension that drives the film to a very surprising and unexpected climax. Nice. Did you know about it before? Oh, hold on, there's a timer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, obviously, LFF is great. Film festivals are great fun because you just go in there and you think, well, I'm going to sit down and watch a load of films. How much were you looking forward to this beforehand? And how much did you, you know, how much were you reading into the hype? Were you just thinking, Jane Campion, new film, go. And then you, you're in the zone. Uh, before it was shown at LFF, there was a lot of hype behind it because it was Jane Campion and it had this really great cast and that had, you know, Ben Cumberbatch is just becoming this humongous star from mm. Sherlock. And you got Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, who's, you know, returned, returned to the big screen. And especially as I was growing, I've, I've been growing up with her. She's been in movies since I was, since I was young. So to see her now, it's just to have this kind of performance is, is, is quite great to watch. As well, and then you have Cody Smith McPhee, who you know people know him from the X Men movies. Mm. Is this and as as quite an underrated character, but here he actually shines on his own, matches the caliber of his fellow castmates. Uh, Kalechi, did you did you know about it before you watched it the first time? And I guess I'm also 
potentially very jealous here because you guys saw it in the cinema and this is going to lean into my small screen score, but go on. Yeah, um, I just knew it was a Jane, Jane Campion film that was coming out. So I, I sort of missed the hype. And mm. that's kind of always a good thing because you can just walk into the cinema and just kind of be blind to the noise and just actually just sit back and watch it. I've been a fan of Jane Campion for a while. So not only from the piano, but from actually a TV series that she also did for the BBC called Top of the Lake. And that starred Elizabeth Moss in it. And it's like a crime detective drama. And what she does in The Power of the Dog, which is very um, symptomatic of all of her work, is that slow build drama and it's very methodical. It's very, at times, intense. And it all builds up to a impact or a crescendo or something like that. And it's her in her element. So for me, I was very excited just to be, you know, seeing what that next project was because, it, you know, it does take her a while to do new projects in between. Um, and, and it also feels like it's also like a special occasion as well. So when I heard that she was got, she had a new film, Power of the Dog, I was just like, right, I'm, I'm ready for the ne- that next Jane Campion film. So And did it meet your expectations, guys? It just took me by surprise, to be honest, because... <laughs> And it sounds like a cliche, but when you settle into it and you feel you get a grip of what's going on, especially with the characters being as they are, you 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 just become almost you feel that it's just going one direction, and it's a direction that you that you have to adjust yourself to become comfortable with because it's so unsettling. But then it just changes direction completely, and it just catches everybody by surprise. When I walked out of the cinema, I was just like holy crap i did that was just blew my mind completely that's that's jane campion for you (laughs) i have to say it unceremoniously but as katie said it is how the story shifts because one minute you are watching a film about two brothers and you think okay maybe this is what the film's about then once jesse plemons character who plays george takes an interest in kirsten dunst's character with rose it becomes almost like a, a film about jealousy, about a brother trapped in the past and recognising that his other brother is basically moving on with his life and also moving up in the in the social circles. And then it shifts again and you you kind of almost sit in there thinking, OK, where's this film going? Like there's there's almost like three different films, but it's not something that is like an, almost like a whiplash. It's very gentle. It's very subtle. Yeah. And the way it each transitions, I'm not going to spoil the end because that is the, the money shot. <laughs> um, we can but, spoil the end. You can spoil we this. We can, you can give spoilers. I can spoil. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that it shifts into basically an episode of how to get away with murder, <laughs> like I half, ex- I half expected, you know, Annalise Keaton to just rock up in the high heels and like just walk into the scene um, because it is a devastating impact what happens. And it just shows you the level of character building. It shows a level of intricacy in the whole in the whole film. And that is led superbly by Benedict Cumberbatch. Helen, what are your thoughts on on The Power of the Dog? So also a big Campion fan. I think she the piano is probably like the first film by a female director that I ever mm. saw. And you could have said Campion Champion. I mean, anyway, I'll just leave that <laughs> Missed that one, didn't I? You can have that one. You can have that one. Um, it just felt different watching that. So um, sadly did not get to see this in the cinema or at any film festival and had absolutely no idea it was coming to Netflix so soon until you picked it. And uh, when we got the choices through, very, very, very excited. And um, I think it probably surpassed my expectations. 
I think that sometimes her films can be quite brilliant but have moments in that don't quite work or there's some things that she kind of tries and don't quite land well. Um, and I was kind of expecting a bit of that. Um, but yeah, I was really surprised with it and did not kind of expect the kind of the third act turn where things go dark. And yeah, I mean, we've not talked about it yet, but Benedict Cumberbatch, he can be a bit hit and miss with me. I find that he can often like act a bit too much with his face, but this was a little bit more of an all round <laughs> performance. <laughs> Sorry. Do you know what I mean? It's just like a bit facey and nothing yeah. else. But I think I'm still not 100% sure whether yeah. I think he was perfect in it, but it was, it was kind of interesting. To, it was close I, to perfect. Yeah, I think it's, I know what you mean, Helen, because it feels like it's a bit of a miscast because here is a guy who's meant to be playing this kind of toxic, like the embodiment of toxic masculinity and what the ideal man is. and. But underneath that, there's it's it's almost a, it's everything about him is a contradiction, and that even includes like his his size, his weight, his transition into into his repressed feelings about you know and in his you know his love with um, Bronco Henry, and what that past trauma or or even past love, mm. and how that shapes him into what he thinks is what a man is, and basically looking around with his brother, who is definitely the antithesis of him. He's very shy, can't really speak, can't really say anything. Um, at, but he's somebody who's very direct and forward. And then you're looking at everybody else and he probably thinks everybody's weak. Everybody is not to a standard. And he's the, almost like the last frontier, the last representation of it until he gets his, I don't want to say reward, but then, yeah, comeuppance, I should, I should say. Yeah. But, I mean, how much do you think of it is him projecting out because he knows he has his repressed feelings or, you know, the feelings he can't show in this quote-unquote macho world? Well, um, yeah, that, that's the thing about the film. It plays itself in two halves. One is which is one of, like, the first half season could be a complete arsehole mm. towards towards Rose. You're yeah. not sure why. You think it's because of, of of jealousy, the fact that she's taking, she, in his eyes, is taking George away from this male-dominated environment and she doesn't fit in there. And then you see the second way, where he actually bonds with Peter, Rose's son, who's played by Smith McPhee. And it's like, okay, you could, is is this genuine? Or are you just trying to weaponize Peter against Rose because, you know, she, you're, she's, he, he's her son. But then, and then, but when, when they can start to have like heart to heart, you, you kind of wonder, especially when you see him in the, having a private moment. Mm. I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> Having a private moment involving a handkerchief, Bronco Henry's handkerchief, uh, to be more specific, you wonder if that if his if his feelings towards Peter are are that of a mentor or of something more, and and you just kind of it just keeps you on that on tether hooks as to who this character really is. Is he is he is he supposed to be? Is he trying to pretend to be someone that he isn't? Or is he trying to be something more? And I think that's what you you just keep, you find yourself asking at the end of the film. Yeah, I love how ambiguous it is. Mm. Like you never you you're never settled in trying to decipher. Like what's great about Campion's work is that it just leaves it open ended, and it just leaves it to over to interpretation. So with Cumberbatch, you have something that is very complex and very nuanced, as with all the characters that are there. But that is the great mystery about his performance, and that's why I think you probably rewatch it. 
just to see if there's another secret revealed or something you missed the first time around. I think the rewatch was will be um, interesting here because, as you said, the nuance and the different layers, the how you peel back the onion behind Peter Burbank is, will be interesting because it's his relationship that he ends up having with with uh, Phil. Is it is it a later romantic one? Is it a like you say? Is he trying to get one up on on Rose and 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 George? Is it one of like oh, actually, I maybe need to just protect this guy because he, I see a kindred spirit here. It's not romantic myself, but also I need to make sure he's going to be able to take care of himself because otherwise he's going to be, like, victimised throughout the rest of his life. And those are the kind of three things that I was kind of toying with in my mind. And I'm sure there's probably more things that are there that are kind of bubbling away. But I think that's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because the first time we see Phil and Peter interacting was in that in the restaurant and he sees him playing with the, with the, um, with the flower. And it... I think perhaps off the cuff it was just just a I'm going to make fun of this guy because I need to make sure that I'm the alpha male here and everyone around me needs to know I'm the alpha. But you know when it becomes part of like this guy's going to actually be in my life, then the dynamics change, and I think the dynamics change in an interesting way that which well I would never have foreseen. It's almost like um, if this kind of like thing whether if he's exposed then he becomes exposed. So if they keep it hidden, then no one will really know, and they can have like the secret hidden mud bath and secret stash of magazines. Alternatively, if he feels that he bonds with Peter, it kind of makes him feel not as inferior in terms of his own feelings. Mm-hmm. He doesn't feel as scared as he should be about, you know, about about his past or about his, his, like, his life with Bronco Henry. It's, it does keep you... And you just, find, yeah, like you said, it, it, you find yourself trying to find hints of clear-cut facts as to how, what this guy really is. And it just makes you keep watching and watching. And the hints are there when you rewatch it. You can see and hear everything that leads to that crescendo. Mm-hmm. But you don't factor in their significance until that point. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you, think um, you see Phil, when he sees Peter, sees a bit about himself in there? Maybe that's how he was before yeah. he met yeah. Bronco Henry. And then yeah. under his wing, he became, quote unquote, a man. I think so. I think definitely. And I think when initially it was, oh shit, this guy knows who I am. So maybe I need to keep him close um, because he sees the, 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 the intimate scene with the, with, the, with the handkerchief. And then I think he actually starts to think, oh, this guy's got something. Like when they had the, when they were talking about what, what Pete sees in what Phil sees in the in the mountains and he's like and Pete says yes there's there's a shadow of the dog he's like what mm. you saw that what you really mm. you saw that and I think that's when he starts thinking there's something here about this kid that you know there's there's something special here and that's when I think he really does start to feel like oh I need to make this rope for him because it's mm-hmm. this is an important like relationship here again we're still super not just ambiguous there's multiple different layers we don't know where it's going to go but still I think he really does form that that bond with him uh, to the extent that when he's in delirium that he feels the thing he needs to do is make, make the rope, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Especially when Peter doesn't actually have a father figure mm. because, you know, his own father passed away and George is not really very attentive. I, in my eyes, I don't think he's a great <laughs> husband. So. No, he, 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 he's, he's neglected. Not, he's half, he's not even in the film most of the time. No, no. I, that's what, I was like, yeah. what kind of, you know, you he's missing half the film. He doesn't see that his, that Rose is, you know, suffering and, and descending into alcoholism. And, and, and so, he buys a, a piano that's not worth, that she doesn't want to play. 
yeah. making a play in front of his parents. And, and the governor has to say, are you yeah. sure you want, are you sure to embarrass you, that guy? Especially with his arsehole <laughs> brother. It's just, <laughs> it, it does raise questions about the, the supposed good guy. You know, persona that he's trying to probably say, oh, I'm a good guy, but you know, I'm just ignoring you because I want to be something more. (laughs) Anyway, that's just me. Uh, No, no, I think that's not, I think that's spot on because in some ways that as uh, I think you, you and Kobe said about alpha males and how, who's going to be the dominant one. And you can see with Georgie's probably thinking, well, I can't be like my brother. I'm going to climb the social ladder. So you see him wearing the fancy suits. You see him almost, yeah. you know, I think there's one point he was wearing like almost like a fur coat, like very chic <laughs> like fur <laughs> coat, um, whilst riding a horse. And you can tell he's just very different. And the only way of how he can be a quote unquote, an alpha male is to escape that household because his brother owns the masculinity. He owns the, the control of it. So this is, I guess this is his way of showing that kind of, you know, his way, his way forward. The difference is, is that as Katie alluded to, he neglects his wife and, and is part of the problem of what, um, Rose goes through. You know, Mm. it's also the intimidation that she gets from, from Phil, like in one scene where she's playing, she's learning, trying to learn to play the piano again, or refresh her mind. And then he's walking in and the, the, the beauty of Campbell Batch's performance is that he, when he walks into the room, you just hear like, what is it? The Stetsons? And you just hear that. And it's like, he's just made, and that in itself is a sign of intimidation. And that just sends the fear through the scene. And then he's just bringing out the banjo and then just outshines her. That in itself shows you how creepy and intense of it is and basically dials up the psychological tension for Rose. But on the flip side, you have a neglectful husband who literally is all about himself and basically treats Rose almost like a trophy. But that's how dance actually shines. She just puts in amazing performance that shows that she's not afraid to be fragile. She, she, her, her, her slow descent into alcoholism is just, is, you can see her broken, a broken shell of a woman, especially when during the dinner party, you see that she's practically saying with her, her expression, okay, mm. Phil, you'll win. I'm just gonna. I can't do anything whilst you're while you're here. But she can't say anything to her husband because he can't. She probably knows it in the back of her mind. He can't do anything, and that fact that she's able to just be so repress. She she just plays this repressed character who is suffering so quietly. Is why she's so. She's just so good in this role. It's such a like reserved performance from her and you kind of feel for her because she's obviously this woman who has been widowed and her husband has committed the ultimate sin in kind of God's eyes and you know this is the offer she she probably never would have got so she kind of has to take the marriage really it's not something you could turn down a woman in her position and you get the feeling she doesn't really enjoy her work and there's just so many emotions going on and her own only son is now being taken away by this man who is kind of just everywhere around her it's mm-hmm. a really great performance from her and maybe a, a different actress might have played it a bit too much but um yeah she's brilliant and in fact the whole the whole cast is fantastic can i just ask before we go into the rest of the cast but do you with rose do you get the 
was the fear that I don't know. I was kind of toying with the fear of Rose thinking that she actually sees through Pete and actually sees Pete as predatory in terms of actually wanting to, you know, have have some kind of relationship with with her son, or was it just purely she thinks he's a bad guy and he's trying to, you know, come give him, you know cause him some harm? Or was because I, I thought that was another like couple of layers of ambiguity there. I don't know. That's any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think she saw Phil as a threat by yeah. using Peter because when Phil started taking. Peter out for horseback rides. She actually runs out in distress, saying, "Where's mm. she? Where's mm-hmm. he taking him? I don't want him hanging around him." And she was trying to, because she, she, Pete, in her eyes, Peter's the only one that has her back. He's the only thing that's tying her to what a, a better life, i.e., away from the ranch. Mm. And so the fact that in her eyes, Phil's taking him away from her, just adds to her distress. And turning Peter against her as well, because we see kind of the conversations. And it's you're sort of like, is Peter kind of buying this? Because it's so ambiguous in kind of tones. And you're like thinking, oh, is he actually listening to Phil? And is he going to, like, you know, take all what he's saying about her alcoholism and everything on board? And is he going to manage to, like, manipulate him against it? So I had I don't think I've seen the actor who plays Peter before in anything. I'm not sure Curtis which X- Yeah. Which X Men was in. I haven't seen He was any. he was Nightcrawler. Yeah. Yeah, so he wouldn't necessarily recognise him in, in the X Men. Yeah. Uh, but he it was in it was in Slow West, um another another Western, uh, which is which is really good fun. He's been he's been around recently. He's and he's, he's only twenty five, so it's like he's one of these people I'm like, damn you Young, youngness. <laughs> it's kind of got an interesting physical presence as well. Um, hmm. There's lots of very beautiful shots, but the one where he's kind of doing his hula hooping is very kind of tall and thin and just the way he stands out in the landscape is very striking as well of his acting. The way, I mean, the way oh. he reacts to the, the kind of abuse that is given from, from people and that, and that the way he goes to the hula hoop scene. You know, that's the first time he meets Pete and he takes a piss out of him for making the flowers and setting them on fire. And he just goes out in the back and starts hula hooping. And that kind of shows Cody Smith McPhee fill out as a, as a different character. But I think his his character throughout the se- throughout the film is really interesting. The way, he, you know, he catches a rabbit and dissects it, r- catches a rabbit to dissect it, not rather than, you know, kind of shows the kind of darkness and edge that he has and is fascinated with his with medical books it's not just that it seems for for surgery purposes it seems that there's there's really is a dark undertone to his um personality which we obviously see when he um eventually effectively murders pete right <laughs> <laughs> i mean it makes it all like i mean on the first time myself and katie watched it you you missed those details but mm. on a recent watch i did the other day you just realized like how much all of that stuff was premeditated so like him being um ridiculed by Phil and him going to the hula hoops and then he's going into um medical school and then he's learning <laughs> like what you know the anatomy of the body then he's dissecting a, you know he's catching a rabbit and you think oh this is so sweet and then actually no he's killed it and he's actually dissecting the 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 body you also have him looking through medical books and looking at you know best ways like of poisoning people and like where where the 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 best part to get an infection and then you get that scene where 
he's riding out on horseback, which is quite interesting because obviously there's a scene where he's learning how to ride on horseback. And there's a part of me that says, mm, was it, but did, was he all, did he know how to ride a horse in the first place? And then he's pretending not to know how to ride a horse and then showing to feel that, oh yeah, I'm learning. But then he's going on the horseback and then he finds that infected bull and then starts cut and then he starts getting out the gloves. And then it's, that's what I said. It's like, it's like watching an episode of How to Get Away with Murder. It is. And he it does is. it. And he does it so, you so need to, you, great. You need to piece it together. And one thing I really appreciated was that it wasn't like the, the usual suspects of like, oh my God, like the, the, the mug dropping. And it was like, he was Kaiser Cersei all along. It was just, <laughs> you, have to, you have to leave yeah. Yeah. and then think like, like you just did, Kalichi, and went, mm. oh yeah. So that was the, okay, the book. Oh, right. Yeah. The anthrax cow cut in the hand. Right. Okay. Bullwhip, right? Okay, yeah, he's 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 like he's like a genius. He's like a murdering genius. Guys, is there anything I want to say before we head to the scores? I want to say Thomas and Mackenzie. She just pops in there. Um, <laughs> Very small part. <laughs> She's like, hey. I, you know, I think that when I saw it at, at, at LFF, I didn't realize that she was in it. <laughs> so it was only, <laughs> because it, it was so in the background, and then it was only like maybe midway through the film. I was like, "Oh my god, that's Thomas and Mackenzie!" And it's <laughs> and it's really and it's really weird because obviously um, myself and Katie obviously saw her in, in last night in Soho, yeah. so she was having a good year. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the best way to explain it. She's a good, um, a, a good, good run, good good career yeah. yeah. so far for someone yeah. so young. A very. Uh... I think it was. I think it was her voice that, that pulled it out for me. It's like that sounds that sounds a bit weird. Who's? Oh, okay, yeah, that's. Off you go, Thomason. But, but she, um, just, she injects a nice little humour to it, like the, the way they yeah. play tennis. <laughs> she was like, actually. That, yeah, that was definitely out. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was. She, yeah, she just kind of reminded people that there's not there's not just men here. There yeah. is there is a there is a female presence here, and yeah, she there there was a little bit of innocence towards uh, when she sees Peter dissect the rabbit. It's like yeah, know, yeah. holy hell, she she did see. I think she was probably the first person to see off the cuff that he has actually a darker side to him, but she didn't say anything either. So it does. Yeah, so it just kind of preludes to the whole mystery of that part of the film. Okay, let's head to the scores, guys. I'm Helen O'Hara, film journalist, author and host of Women vs Hollywood, a new podcast from the Stripped Media family. We're exploring the fall and rise of women in Hollywood from the silent era to the present day and into the future. Each episode, I'm joined by three or more special guests to discuss the challenges that women face in the film industry and look at what we can do to change the picture. We've got actors, directors, producers, writers, academics, film experts, you name it, they're all here to explain what's going on in Hollywood. Search for Women vs Hollywood now, wherever you're listening to this, and come join us. Welcome to our Flixwatcher scores. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you please. And we will start with you, please, Katie, with your recommendability. My recommendability score is a five. Highly recommended. That's it. <laughs> That's been <laughs> short, 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 sweet. <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's short, and sweet. Why Might you, drop. <laughs> yeah, we've said we've said how great it is. I don't think I need to embellish it any further. Can I Mine's a five as well. Might drop. That's it. <laughs> Fair play. It's definitely a five. I mean, for me, if you, it's one of those films like 
if you love Jane Campion and you commit yourself to it being a slow burn and you take it in, the reward you get out of it is justified. I know some people have had, you know, mixed results with Jane Campion, Campion in the past. Um, some people probably f- might find this a little boring. You never know. Everybody has a different style and taste. But it's one of those films that once you give over to what it achieves and you immerse yourself in, I have to give a special recommendation to Johnny Greenwood and his score mm-hmm. and and the cinematography as well. Harry Wagner. Yeah. yeah. You are in for a treat. So it gets me, for me, five stars. Helen. I, I absolutely agree with everything that has been said so far. I feel that some people will find this a bit boring and be a bit like it's two hours and kind of not that much happens until the very, very end. So I'm going to give it a 4.7 just because I know there's people who just wouldn't wouldn't get on with it and they would find it boring or nothing is obvious in it. And slow burn just isn't for everyone some people just like things that are really loud and things that explode and men that are men and you can tell that they are men whereas this isn't quite like that but i I did but i did adore it myself but i might find it difficult to recommend to everyone yeah same as some kind of things helen i'm going to 4.5 i think it'd be harder there'll be definitely people and yeah like you say you have to explain guys it's, it's two hours just stick with it you need to be paying attention and each time you have to put like an extra caveat in there makes it like it's a tick off. There's a few more people that are not going to watch it because there's a thing you have to do more of and you can't just be on your Twitter and your and your Facebook and Instagram at the same time. But yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it to people who um, have half a brain and are happy to pay attention. Repeat viewing score. Katie? Uh, I think I'll give this, I would give this a 4.5. It, w- it is a re- because of all the things that we've mentioned about the slow burner, the the number of hints that are dropped from the start and seeing how it all comes together mm. is one thing. But then, it, like we said, it is a slow burner. Would we want to really re-watch it just to see, try and pick up everything? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I would definitely re-watch it, but, it's, but if it's only just to see what, what preludes the ending, I'm not, I don't think it's not, it's not a complete five for me. Clutchy. Interesting commentary, okay. Um, I think <laughs> I think I'm gonna go slightly higher and say four point six. Just because I think there is more to the film than just obviously just not only just working out how um Peter did did the crime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think you are always amazed by the performances that come out of it. And I you know, I think this is probably Benedict Cumberbatch at his best. You see him in a very different light. You know, if you think about him in, you know, Sherlock, if you think about him in even MCU with Doctor Strange, there's a bit of likability in though they're playing chaotic characters. In this in this performance, he's playing an arsehole. There's no, there's no sugarcoating, there's no nothing to it. He's playing an absolute arsehole. But it's it's also a complex arsehole. And that in itself is very fascinating. And I think it will rank as one of his career best. And something that when you're dealing with a character that has a multifaceted complexity to the to their performance, I think that's something to worth going back to actually digest um, and decipher in within that um, that mystery that's in his character. So I give it about four point six. Helen, it's interesting you saying that. I find that sometimes Benedict Cumberbatch can kind of struggle with American accents, but he's <laughs> he's good in this one. 
And I should have added in the, in the recommendability, if you enjoy seeing him naked, then you will enjoy this. So, you know, that is that is something to uh, note of that. Um, I'm not sure about I think I would watch this again, but I'm not sure when that would be. It's not one of those ones that you kind of think, oh, I absolutely have to see it again. So I'm going to go 3.8 in that. Perhaps I'll see it again in maybe a year or so i definitely would want to see it again but i don't think it's going to be a high repeat viewer for me yeah i'm going to have 3.5 it's definitely something i'll watch again um because i mainly because uh, i want to kind of forensically look through peter's mind but i don't think i'll watch it that that often but i think so you know you have to watch it again but not that frequently small screen score i feel we might get some lower scores here i don't know katie um small screen score um as as we, you know, we watched it at festival. We saw it on a big screen. It actually added to the isolate the isolation of the surroundings of nineteen twenties Montana. Having watched rewatched it the other day on Netflix, it didn't. I don't think it translated as well as it could have done. So I think I'm going to give it a a small screen score of around three three point five. Three point five, Kalechi. I agree with Katie. Um, but I probably go a little bit lower, um, and that's probably about three point two. It's not. It's not to say that it's it's bad in that respect. I I think when you're watching the, on a cinema screen, I think you get quickly immersed into mm-hmm. the slow burn. I think when you watch at home, and there's just to reiterate, there's nothing wrong with watching a film, a film at home. But I think there are also distractions, and and when you are requiring to get involved into a slow burner of a film, you might miss key points and miss um, certain details that come that come with it unless you've created, you know, the most perfect conditions in within your household. So it's not something that's really made for TV. It is definitely made for the big for the big screen. And you take advantage of the cinematography, you take advantage of the New Zealand landscapes. And, you know, like I said before, with Johnny Greenwood's score, it's it's incredibly it's immersive and it's in in Silver. So yeah, it's it gets a little bit of a lower score for me when you watch at home. Helen. Yeah, I completely agree with you that I've watched a lot of very long films at the cinema recently and time feels different in the cinema to watching at home. Um even like having house lights on in home kind of makes it feel different and yeah, I don't know if it's going to come on in the cinemas in the UK. I don't think it's been on at my cinema, so I think it, it came out again like Netflix do. I think they put like a, a week on. Yeah, somewhere. it was a very limited release a week yeah. prior to uh, coming on to Netflix. I think a lot. I'm not sure if a lot of people went rushed to watch it because it was going to come on Netflix. But mm. um, those who did manage to catch it, they were very very fortunate to enjoy it yeah. on big screen. But also there's just a lot of competition in the cinemas right now. Yeah. So, you know, you've got the tail end of Dune, you've got... Tail end of Bond. Tail end of Bond, which is still playing, still, still sees there. You know, um, I'm just trying to think of that. You have Ghostbusters. There's just so much happening. So, of course, with something like The Power of the Dog, it would slip through the net. So I don't blame anybody for saying, like, you know what, I'm just going to catch it on Netflix. Yeah. Because it's it's there, you know. So it's not... At least it's not something like The Last Jewel, which somehow was in the cinemas but no one saw it and <laughs> do you know what i mean so at least it's it's there um it's there for everybody to to, to have access for which is one of the good things about netflix at least it gives you a choice so what was your score helen sorry 
Uh, yeah, so I didn't give a score yet. So I'm going to go 3.5 as well. I think I would have liked more of an opportunity to have seen it at the cinema. Yeah, to Im- appreciate the score as well. Like it's, he's great. Like I love Johnny Greenwood's scores. They um, they are amazing. Um, but it is on Netflix and it's great. They've got kind of new releases coming on there. So you're probably going to be watching it on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go for 3.5. Yeah, let's go for 3.5 as well. I think it would have been awesome to see this in cinema, but unfortunately, I don't think I would have done. I definitely would have definitely would have seen this in the before times, before COVID, before baby, in my kind of Sunday sessions or Saturday sessions where I would have seen two or three films in a row. And this would 100% be one of them. But um, yeah, unfortunately not to be this time. Engagement score, Katie. It is one of those ups and, up and down films because it, it does take a while to get into like the nitty gritty side of it so i think my engagement score is around a four because once you realize that the plot is going in that really twisted direction you kind of want to see what come, becomes of phil becomes of rose and and as the film slowly evolves to include peter in the, in the mix it's like oh okay we're going to see where this is going so yeah definitely a four Glitchy. i'm gonna go 4.2 I think it was one of those films that really is dependent on your mood and how you, as, as I said, mentioned before, how you take to it. If you are happy and you're in the right frame of mind, you don't mind watching on Netflix and you have managed to just kind of zone out, then I think you will reap the benefits and you will be very engaged. But like with everything that's with Jane Campion, sometimes some people will say, ah, oh, it's a bit boring. And then they will just not really find it interesting at mm. all even if you start to tease them like oh no no there's a good bit here you know there's <laughs> like that, you know but as you were saying um, kobe there's a lots of there's a bit of caveats that go with with that um with that journey but it just comes down to how you actually respond to it so if you can give to it then you will find yourself engaged if you can't then you're just going to find it boring so it's for me it's 4.2 but that's just because of me, because I find it engaging. That's decent. Yeah. Yeah. Helen? Um, I'm going to be go a bit higher. I'm going to do uh, 4.7. Uh, did have to pause it a few times, but that was because dinner arrived and then <laughs> toilet breaks, <laughs> not mine. And then, the, the, yeah, so the it was slightly frustrated viewing in that way. Otherwise, it would have been 100%. So, yeah, for, what did I say? 4.7. I was really engaged and I, I just didn't really know where it was going. So I was very much like, I don't know where this is going. What's going to happen next? I can't miss anything because there is a moment where you're like, what? He, who, who? He's in the coffin. What? And I was very <laughs> much like, what? He's dead? What? He was alive? How, how yeah, there was that moment. Uh, I was like, yeah. I was like what? Did I, what did I miss? Did I just miss like 10 minutes of the film somehow? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm going 4.5. I think you, if I started this, like in the future and wasn't up for it, then you need to dive, you need to dive out and come back later when you're more up for it uh, because you need to be engaged to be watching this film to get the most out of it. So I'm giving it a high score because you have to be and you can't. I can I can imagine many people putting this on like half asleep and then getting to the end thinking, well, that was a pile of shit, wasn't it? Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, 4.5. 4. 4. And that gives an overall score of 4.16875, which is which is it's high. And it's a small screen score, really, that's um, let it down, quote unquote. Uh, Kate and Kletcher, can you sign up by letting everyone listening know where we can find you online, your Twitter account, your blogs, wherever we can hear you, and any podcast you might be on? 
you can find me on Katie Smith Wong on Twitter at Katie Smith Wong, or you can find me on Flickfeast, Wazilla Preview Marker, or my own individual blog, Musings of Guitar Girl China. Blog. Musings of a guitar girl. Guitar gal, China. <laughs> <laughs> it was my old Twitter handle. It made sense at that time. <laughs> that's how they, that's they how always they do. Work. They always do. They always do. The amount of facepalm Twitter handles. Yeah, it was because of a thing. Just shut up. <laughs> so um, it was, it, you I know could. what? The, the, my Twitter was created long years ago, and it actually only made sense that I could actually change it now to something a bit easier to spell. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, no one can spell guitar, the guitar girl, no, no, because they, they put they put girl instead of gal, two different yeah. things. Ah, <laughs> Clutchy, where, where can we find you online? Um, numerous places. I I, I still have a separate <laughs> a separate Twitter account for my blog and so forth. So, if you want to reach out to me personally, it's at ke henulo on Twitter. And if you want to reach out onto my blog, it is um, at Geekmind UK, and that's available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, thank you very much, guys, and say goodbye to everyone listening. Thanks for coming on. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixwatcherPod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R O K K Wood audio tell them flicks what you sent you you just heard a stripped media production <laughs>